Lord Jesus Christ, you alone have the words of eternal life, and we believe and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So Jesus, ultimately, it's your voice that we need to hear this morning, not mine. Give us grace to hear your words, grace to receive them, and grace to respond to them. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Well, I really am grateful to get to be with you all this morning and really grateful to Pastor Chris, I almost called him Father Chris, Pastor Chris for his... Uh, for his friendship, he's actually kind in the way that he's talked about it. It's a lot of it has been my getting to come and to be with him and actually just kind of soak some mentoring out of him as a brother who's been on this road longer than I have, particularly as a pastor. I've been really grateful for that friendship and for the trust. It takes a lot of trust for one pastor to let another come and stand in this pulpit right here. We've shared a lot together, but he's never heard me preach <laughs> he doesn't know what I'm going to say, and he doesn't know how long it's going to take me to say it. Um, <laughs> actually, I will take my time. Thank you. Because one of the things that you might not know about Episcopalians, like in my tradition, at my church, I'm known for being a long-winded preacher. But my rector, my, our head pastor, so he's the one who preaches on a more brief side. He preaches 12 to 13 minutes every time. When I get up, they're like, oh, here comes the long-winded preacher. Because I preach between 15 to 18 minutes. <laughs> and this summer, one time, I went crazy, and I preached 24 minutes straight. So... <laughs> So when Pastor Chris said I had 30 minutes or longer, I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen. I've got, I've got time <laughs> to go. So, and it actually reminded me of a time when I was in, in Uganda. He mentioned that my family and I, we served in Uganda as missionaries. My first week there, the bishop called me into his office, and there were two things in particular he wanted to tell me. One of them was, he told me, Travis, I've been in the United States. I preached there. I know that there you guys don't preach very long. If I ever hear that you've preached less than 45 minutes in one of my churches, we're going to have a talk. That was the first thing he said to me, and I was fine with that. I'm like, you know, I'm a preacher. I'll go as long as they'll let me go. But then the second thing he said to me was, now, I also know that the way as Anglicans, Episcopalians in the United States, a lot of the worship that you do you use your hands a lot in worship. And he was referring to how a lot of times we'll cross ourselves, you know, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, speaking of how God is covering our entire bodies and owning us with protection. It's kind of a reminder of our baptism. Or that whenever we come before the cross, we'll bow. Or anytime we hear the name of Jesus, we'll bow. Or when we bless the people, we make the sign of the cross over them. And he told me, don't do that. In our, here in our churches, I don't want to see you doing any of those motions. I said, I understand what's going on, but a lot of our people are still coming up out of their religions and their ways of understanding the world, and they'll see that as some form of magic that you are trying to do, and it's going to confuse them. So don't move around in your worship. You need to be still. And initially, I was offended by that. I mean, this is how I worship. I like to worship God with my body, and I don't. I can't dance. I've tried. It doesn't work out well. So there are other ways that I worship, and I like making these motions in my worship. And so who are you to tell me how to worship my God in this place? 
That was my heart. Isn't that a great missionary heart to have, <laughs> coming into a place like that? It's that typical thing of the white Western missionary coming in with the right way to do things there. But what is it? What does it mean for us to listen and to, to adjust the way that we live, to adjust the way that we worship, to adjust the way that we walk together in Christ for the sake of others, so that we don't compromise them, so that we don't compromise their consciences, so that we don't confuse them, so that we can walk alongside them into the future that God has for them. That's what I want to talk about a little bit more with the passage that God's given, to, given me to, to preach to you all this morning out of Romans chapter 15. And let's uh, read it together here. Romans chapter 15, we're just going to take uh, verses 1 through 7 first. We're going to work our way through 15, 1 through 13. And actually, before diving in, just a reminder, y'all probably know this, but this is a letter that was written by Paul to the small church in Rome. Remember, this is only about 30 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. People hardly know about this new movement initially called the Way that eventually would be called Christians. And in Rome, something unique is happening. Two cultures that have been very different and separate and apart from each other, Jews and Romans and Greeks and Gentiles, Jews and Gentiles are beginning to come together to live together, to love together, to worship together, to follow God together. And it's hard. It's not working out well. Things are difficult. There's tensions, there's frustrations, there's challenges. What does this mean to be saved by Jesus and to walk in this way together? And so Paul writes this long letter to them saying, let me give you the entire understanding of what God is doing in this world. And he weaves together theology and history and scripture through chapters 1 through 12. But in chapter 12, he begins to make this shift and he's saying, all right, that's the biblical and theological and historical understanding of what's going on. Now, here's what it looks like in the church. Here's how you live it out. And when we come here to chapter 15, verses 1 to 13, this is actually almost the conclusion of the letter. What happens after this, he's just saying his kind of his farewells and greeting people and preparing people for him to come and raise a collection. But this last chapter here kind of pulls it all together, verses 1 through 13, about what salvation is and how it plays out in the day-to-day -day life of this church that is struggling with division already in their first few years of being together. And so here's, here's the passage, and we'll break it down here in a moment. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore... Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. That's the sentence that I want to focus on this morning. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you 
for the glory of God. If you don't remember anything else this morning, this is what I want you to remember. It's actually up here on the screen. Can we get that on the screen again? Because I want you to read it with me. I want this going into you. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. We're going to explore this one phrase at a time. And I actually want to start with the center phrase. Because this is what caught my attention as I was praying and preparing this week. And what I've been sitting with. As Christ has welcomed you. What beautiful words those are. Christ has welcomed you. Jesus welcomes you. The king of glory, this king that we're going to be celebrating his coming at Christmas. Advent is also in the historical church. It's a time of preparing for the second coming of Jesus as well. This king who is coming to judge the earth, to set things right, to bring up what needs to be raised up, to cast down what needs to be cast down. This Jesus who is coming, he welcomes you. What does this mean? How has Jesus welcomed you? How has he welcomed me? Well, a few chapters earlier, I, didn't get, I forgot to send this to you all to have it on the, the screen. But in chapter 8, which is one of my favorite passages in the Bible, chapter 8 of Romans, Paul talks us through what it means to be welcomed by Jesus. And I'll just give you a, a glimpse of it. We're not going to be able to go into it uh, deeply But let me give you a framework, four words to help frame what it means to be welcomed by Jesus. Jesus welcomes us with grace. He welcomes us with a gift. And he welcomes us into a family. And he welcomes us into a future. He welcomes us with grace and with a gift. And he welcomes us into a family and into God's future. Listen to this, Romans 8, chapter 11, one of my favorite verses. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's how he welcomes you. I was reminded of a story from a, a, another pastor friend of mine who he was one of these churches where they've got multiple services. I think it was three services. And at the end of the day, as he was coming off and trying to get out the door, a young man stopped him and conf- was talking to him saying, I really need help. I need to talk to you. And he was so tired. He didn't want to mess with him. But he said, what's, tell me what's going on. And he said, he said you know, I've, I'm, I'm struggling with pornography. I've got this issue, and I can't get free, and I'm just, I'm falling and failing, and I'm feeling terrible. And he said, look, and he scribbled something on the piece of paper. He said, take this home. I want you to meditate on this for one week, and then come into my office. We're going to talk, with this, talk about this because we've got to deal with it. The young man went home, opened the piece of paper to see what it was, expecting you know, some words about how wrong and bad and lust is. And he opened it up, and he read... Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus welcomes us with grace. He welcomes us with forgiveness. When we come to him with anything that we have going on in our lives, any sin, any failure, any brokenness, any part of our lives, Jesus says, welcome His face doesn't register with surprise. His face doesn't get angry. His face doesn't get accusatory when you come to him with these things. His face lights up because he's seen a younger sister, a younger brother come to his presence ready to receive him. And he says, welcome. There is no condemnation here. 
this is a space for grace that I am going to fill you with. You are forgiven. You are welcome. There is grace here. But it's Jesus. He does more than just welcome with grace. He also gives a gift, and the gift that he gives is the Holy Spirit. A little bit later in the same passage, he writes and he said, Paul is writing and says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, actually it's since the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. We just saw this happening right here with this baptism, this death and resurrection, this identifying with Jesus. And the reason John is identified with Jesus and is a brother in Christ and a son of God is because Jesus gave him the gift of the Holy Spirit who dwells in him, and his life is never going to be the same. It's true for all of us. There is new life that is awaking and arising within us, not because of anything that we do or can do, but because of this gift of the Holy Spirit put into our hearts to raise up and to recreate a new life in us for being able to live the way that God has called us to live and intends us to live. His grace, Jesus welcomes us with grace. He welcomes us with the Holy Spirit. This Holy Spirit, the way I think about him, well, you know the word for it probably. You've heard it is paraclete, parakletos. And it's often translated sometimes as comforter, Sometimes as counselor, it's both. <laughs> he is the comforter and the counselor. He is the presence of God and he is the power of God living in your life. That is the gift that Jesus gives to us. Grace and the gift of the Holy Spirit, his presence and power for life. But he doesn't stop there. This is Jesus. He's got more to do, to give. Because he welcomes us with grace. He welcomes us with a gift. And he welcomes us into a family. It's not just you and Jesus. It's not even just you and Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit. It's a great foursome right there. But he actually goes on beyond that. This, you are being welcomed into a family, into this humanity that God has been intending and creating since the beginning of time. This new identity that we have, well, listen to what he says a little bit later about the Holy Spirit in um, Romans 8 still. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into sin, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters. And with our spirit, by that spirit, by whom we cry, do you know this? Abba, Father. Abba is an Aramaic word meaning daddy. We cry, Daddy, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. And if children, heirs. We are part of this family of God. God is our Father. The Lord Jesus Christ as our older brother and king. And that inheritance begins, we've already begun to receive that with the Holy Spirit. We're now part of something that God is creating and growing in this, in this world, beginning right here, even within the context of Strong Tower Bible. This is the family of God. This is something that he is bringing to life. And this is how transformation happens, not individual one-on-one -on -one alone with Jesus, 
but all of us together as the family of God, woven into what he began to do. He wanted to do in Adam and Eve, began to do anew through the people of Israel, and now has woven us into the fullness of all of those promises in making us part of this great family of God. He's welcomed us with grace and a gift, and he's welcomed us into a family to be a part of something bigger, to be a part of this future that God has for us as the people of God. One more time out of Romans 8. I could go all day on Romans 8. But one more time on Romans 8 here about this future. For I consider, this is verse 18, that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. That's a pretty bold statement to make. Because I think a number of you probably have experienced sufferings in this present time that seem to pale in comparison to anything that could be coming. We certainly have seen that in our nation, and we've seen that in the world. How could Paul be so audacious as to say the sufferings of this present time cannot be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us? Because the future that God has for us is something so much bigger and brighter and beautiful and has redemption and light and life. The things that we have suffered now are going to be transformed into things of incredible beauty. When we look back, we're going to say, not God, where were you? But God, I praise you for what you have done not only in the midst of the suffering, but through the suffering and what you have brought about. The future is going to be beyond comparison. And creation itself, verse 18, waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. Creation is waiting on us to become fully who we are created to be by the power of Jesus Christ and what he's going to do in these final times. Creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it to hope. Just come all the way to here uh, again. Um, no, actually, that's what I wanted to say. <laughs> that creation waits with lo eager longing for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. There is a future that is already broken into our present that is going to come in fullness with the return of Christ. And that's what Jesus has welcomed us into. He's welcomed us with grace and with a gift, and he's welcomed us into the family, and he's welcomed us into his future. So it's another way of saying he's welcomed us into his life and into the love of God that is in Christ. That's why this particular chapter concludes with words I'm sure you know. For in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor anything present, or things to come, nor powers, height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is what it means to be welcomed by Jesus, to be welcomed by the King, grace and gift, family and future. You are loved. And if this is what it means to be welcomed by Jesus for each of us as individuals and for us as a community, can you see how that opens up this first phrase here and loads it with such meaning? Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. So what does it mean then for us? And we're talking here right now about the church, about Strong Tower, about 
Strong Tower and St. B's about the people of God. What is it for us to welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us? Well, (laughs) we welcome one another with grace. That this is to be a place where you can come with your brokenness and your failure, where you can come with your sins, where you can come with your confusion, you can come with your doubts, whatever is going on, you can come here and our call as the people of God is to welcome you to welcome each other with grace. There's not condemnation here. If you watch how Jesus interacts with people in the Gospels, as he works with the marginalized, the people on the edge of society, the the tax collectors, the adulterers, the sinners, he welcomes them. And right there at the beginning, he just says, come on in. You are welcome. I want to be with you. Be a part of my family and walk with me. We need to offer each other that space for grace together. But we can also welcome each other with gifts. We don't give the Holy Spirit. God does that. But it's a good picture for us. Presence and power, the gift that we can offer to one another as you come into the space for grace is we offer each other presence, being with each other faithfully day in, day out, not just on a Sunday morning embrace, but Monday through Saturday in the rat race of what we've got to deal with, that we are with each other. And the strengths and the gifts that we we each have, we offer those to one another to support each other as we walk this presence and power together. We've got the Holy Spirit within us to do that. And if you think about that, that's an amazing thing. That means the moment that you walk into another space and you've got the Holy Spirit there, you've brought the presence of God right into that place with the power that is needed for whatever work God wants to do right there. So we welcome each other with grace and with these gifts of presence and power. And we welcome each other into a family. Strong Tower Bible Church is not just a place to come on Sundays. This is a family where you are learning and loving and growing together into the people. You have a new identity. And you also don't belong to yourselves any longer. A family belongs to each other and cannot exist apart from one another. And so together, you grow and move as a family. This is your identity. This actually becomes your top priority. When Jesus starts raising up his disciples around him, he begins even to redefine family at that time and saying, look, my brother, my sister is the one who does the will of the Father. And we are the family of God here. And it's out of here that new life is going to birth and grow and infiltrate all of the cultures and humanity so that the heart of Christ can exist in the skin of every culture so that it becomes the family of God as he intended from the beginning. And we can remind each other of this truth and welcome each other into this family and remind each other this is the future that God has for us. You are a part of something bigger. You think things are ending? You think things are bad in the United States right now? Yeah, they are. You think they haven't been bad before in other countries, other times? (laughs) Yeah, they have. You think God hasn't seen this before? You think he's surprised by any of this? You think this is outside of his plan and what he's wanting to do in our nation? It's not. This is his future that he is going to bring to become our present reality. 
and we remind each other that truth and call each other out of the present into the future that God has for us so we can remain in this present with the vision that God has given us for what he is doing in Jesus Christ by the power of his spirit. This is what it means to be welcoming one another with grace and with gifts into the family of God and into God's future that he has. Doesn't that sound good? Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that hard <laughs> to do? I love talking about that, preaching it, living it. Man, that's something else. So why do you think then that Paul in chapter 15, verses 4 and 5 says, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance... And through the encouragement of the scriptures, which I'm hoping is what I'm bringing you this morning, we have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. This is beyond us, y'all. It takes endurance to be in community. It takes encouragement to live together day in and day out. And it's beyond us to do that. That's why Paul turns not to each other, but turns to God and says, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant this to you, which, of course, brings us back to the Holy Spirit, which is how he's granting that to us there. But Paul is more than just realistic about this. He's also very specific. And in this particular chapter here, he's applying this understanding of welcoming one another as Christ welcomed us to a very specific situation that's going on in their life together as Jews and Gentiles. Because Paul has been watching from afar and hearing and learning that there's this growing division that's happening between them. They are beginning to judge one another. And the issue is, and this comes up again and again in the early church, it comes up again and again what is clean and what is unclean? What are we still supposed to do in following the law and what are we free from? Especially in what we eat and in our holy days. Uh, the holy days that we celebrate. Are we still supposed to keep the Sabbath? Are we still supposed to do all these sacrifices? Go to the temple, do these things. And with this church, with these different cultures coming together, they're beginning to harden against each other and pull apart from each other and say, I'm right, you're wrong. No, you're wrong and I'm right. And the distance is beginning to grow there because one group of them is saying, look, all the meat here in Rome that we eat, you guys know it's all slaughtered at the temple as sacrifices to their gods. We can't eat that meat. That's unclean. We got to stick with vegetables. And we still need to follow the Sabbath and keep it holy. And there's a whole other group of them saying, look, no, when Jesus died, he himself, all foods, has said, all foods are clean. He's made everything clean. He's made us clean. He's made the food we eat clean. We're free to eat whatever we want. And now because of what Jesus has done, every day is holy. We don't have to worship or observe Sabbath or go on certain days. Every day is holy. And they begin to argue about these things and judge one another. And these groups are beginning to form and harden and separate and pull apart. And I think Paul is looking at this going, I've seen this before. Because remember, Paul, he's a Pharisee. He's trained as a Pharisee. He thinks as a Pharisee. And he once lived as a Pharisee that said, you are wrong, we are right, and we won't associate with you until you change your mind and come the way that we're going. 
But Paul is also one who has the spirit of God dwelling in him, changing him. He's like, "Mm -mm, not on my watch. (laughs) There's something that needs to change here. And he calls to them and says, this is not okay. I want you to welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Now, it's interesting because there actually is a right and a wrong here. Paul does say, like the labels that start getting thrown around are the people who are weak in faith as opposed to those who are strong in faith. And Paul actually agrees with the strong against the weak. Because Paul teaches, and if you want to hear him get passionate about it, read Galatians. Paul teaches that, yes, we are free in Christ. It is for freedom that we have been set free. Don't let anyone bring you under the subject of the law again to be a slave to the law. You can eat what you want. You can worship when you want. You, there is freedom in Christ. So he, he actually agrees with the strong in this particular passage. So how is this going to be resolved? Since there does seem to be a right and a wrong, but he doesn't want there to be division and hardening and judging. Because I think you know what that feels like, to be judged or to judge. You can see it in the body language, arms fold up. People either start backing up from each other. No, I, I don't. I, you are so wrong. Or they start getting up in each other's face and getting threatening with each other. And inside, don't you feel it, things hardening? And you feel yourself getting on the defensive. You feel yourself pulling away and distancing yourself from that person. But you know you're right. They know they're right. Someone's right because there is absolute truth here and in this particular place. So what do we do? How do we resolve a situation like this? We welcome one another as Christ welcomed us. 14 verse, this is what all of chapter 14 is about. We won't go into it. But verse 14, verse 1 opens this way. As for the one who is weak in faith, not challenge, don't challenge him, don't attack him, don't push him out, don't drive him away. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Interesting, he says. And then brings us into 15, verse 1. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. I think Paul is offering us a third way here, as opposed to fighting it out or as opposed to being quiet and not dealing with it at all. I think he's offering us a third way, which is to welcome one another. And it looks like this, that we have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. To bear, the Greek there means to come alongside and to carry, to help each other carry these things. Puts me in mind of another guy, Jesus, when he's talking about law and legalism and right and wrong, and he finally says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, The yoke that he's talking about there, it's a double yoke. You got two oxen pulling that yoke, one on the left, one on the right. If you've got Jesus pulling on the left, and often that's how they would train oxen, is put them side by side, an experienced, stronger one on the left, a weaker one that needed to grow and learn on the right. If we're coming alongside Jesus there, his way is gentle, and he is lowly, meek in heart, meaning he's got restrained power that he's going to use appropriately. 
He's going to guide us along and bring us into the truth, into God's future, into the life that is there. He is going to correct. He is bringing us into a new life. But he's the one pulling alongside and granting the strength and the direction for that. And so what if we who are strong, who have a vision for what God is doing, rather than attacking the other person or withdrawing from the other person, we come alongside the other person and say, okay, let's walk through this together, side by side, in the direction that Jesus is leading us and lending our strength and our understanding to one another that we might grow and then one day look behind us and see all the fruit that has grown because of what we've sown and walking together. That's the vision I think that Paul is giving us here, that walking alongside. And this next part of the verse, Christ did not plead him, please himself. As it is written, the, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. And here's where my mind went as I sat with this. I look at someone, I actually, someone comes to my mind. Hey, do this with me for a moment. Take a moment. Who is the person or people that come to your mind when you think of someone that you're feeling angry with or that you're judging or you are so sure they're wrong and you feel that hardening come up in you? Who comes to your mind? Don't say it out loud. <laughs> but who comes to your mind? The things that you want to point at them and say, you are wrong and you know you're right and you actually may be. Where they are wrong and where they deserve punishment or they deserve to be corrected or they deserve to be reproached, guess what? Jesus has already taken that on him. The reproaches that you want to put on that person, they've already been placed on Jesus. And it goes the other way as well. The reproaches that someone wants to throw on you that you already know yourself and you want to throw against yourself anyways, those have already been laid on Jesus. And he took those to the cross and he died for them. And so those no longer belong to you to receive or to give. Jesus is the one who's going to deal with that. What is yours to give is presence and power and welcome and grace and receiving into family and receiving into God's future because Jesus has already taken care of the rest of that. That is the life and the hope that we have there. I forgot to look at my notes. I don't even know where I am. <laughs> mm. So I turn that into a prayer is what I do. When I feel that growing up in me, that, uh, that anger, that resentment, that desire to reproach someone, what I've begun to do recently is, is take that as an invitation from the Lord to turn back to Jesus and say, Jesus, his reproach you've already carried so how are you calling me to come alongside this brother, to come alongside this sister? Just a quick practical example of what that's looked like for me in my own life. There was a time at our church where there was a lot of conflict that was going on, and I had made a decision as a pastor to refuse to allow someone to come into leadership um, for biblical reasons that were right and appropriate, and it caused a lot of hurt and pain and anger in the church. And, you know, you can feel it. It's almost tangible. You walk by someone, there's like a... And you can just feel this energy coming on. And so you avoid. And you go, oh, you see that person, you go and talk to them, or you don't make eye contact, or you spend a little bit more time in your study, just, well, I'll just add a little bit more to my sermon before I go out and see all those people that I need to go see. I began to cultivate a new spiritual discipline 
that if I saw someone in the congregation that my instinct was to go the other direction. It was to breathe Jesus and then go to that person and to come alongside them, to greet them, and to begin to pursue relationship. In particular, what the Lord convicted me of with the person that I had said no to, rather than allowing the distance to remain, I said, let's get together and talk about why I said no. Let me come alongside you and help you understand. And it took the other person's willingness to welcome me into his life to say, okay, I still think you were wrong for what you did, but I'll come alongside. And those were hard conversations, and they were painful ones, but we walked together through them. And we still disagree about what happened, but where we do agree is that we love each other and that we come alongside each other into the future that God has for us. We give each other grace. We give each other these gifts. We are part of this family together and we're moving together into this future. We are welcoming one another. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you, the last part of the phrase, for the glory of God. Not to go into a whole lot of detail on this, um, but when we welcome to each other like this, this is how God is glorified. Why is he glorified? Because his heart and his purpose is revealed to the world. If we are welcoming each other in this way, it becomes clear this is who God is and what he is doing in this world. Uh, I'm on this uh, mailing list, this newsletter that I receive at the end of each week from the New York Times that goes through the different um, events that happened in the previous week regarding issues of race. Um, and coming into the season of Christmas, she, the woman who, who writes the newsletter wrote this. I thought it was interesting and moved towards closing with this. I like to think that the purpose of this newsletter is to ask one simple question. What would it take to bring us all together? that could make us less afraid of the things and places we do not know, who may look in the, pla- the things and places and people we do not know, who may look and act differently and have a little more patience and empathy for the lives and experience of others. I sometimes worry that the answer is becoming more elusive. The answer isn't elusive. The answer is clear. The answer is being welcomed by Jesus with his grace, his gifts, into his family, into his future. And we have a role and responsibility, a calling to welcome each other as Christ has welcomed us. And that reveals the glory of God to the world. The last part of the sermon that I'm cutting out right now (laughs) takes us into Isaiah chapter 11, where we have the vision for the future that God is bringing. You know, the lion and the lamb lying down together, the child playing by the, the snake nest and putting his hand in and not being hurt. Jesus, this counselor that we read about a little bit earlier, coming as king to establish his rule. That's Christmas. That's Advent. That's what is coming but it begins now in how we welcome one another as Christ welcomed us. The final welcome that I'll mention as I close here, for those of you for that some of this might even be new, um, there's one other welcome that needs to be a part of your life. In Revelation, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. 
If anyone opens the door and welcomes me, I will come in and eat with her. I will come in and eat with him. This begins with Jesus knocking at the door of your life, which is what he's doing this morning, and you saying yes and opening the door and allowing Jesus to come in, and he's going to come in with grace. He's going to come in with the Holy Spirit. He's going to draw you into his family, and he's going to draw you into the future that God has not just for you, but that he has for all of humanity, and we get to be a part of that together. I offer these words to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, brother. If you've received that word, can you say amen? Amen. What a good word. Thank you, Pastor. It is obvious and it is clear that the Lord has anointed your head with oil. And your cup is running over and it was our privilege to drink today. From just some of the things the Lord is giving to you. Um, we're going to start the year talking about grace. Can't talk about grace enough. And thank you for setting that trajectory for us. We pray great blessings upon you, upon your family, upon your parish, and everything that you do. Thank you, man. Love you. Would everyone please stand now for prayer? Thank you, Lord. The gospel isn't just for unbelievers. <laughs> it's for believers, too. And we heard the gospel this morning so that we're not tempted to go back to anything that depends on self or works. It's true dependence on all that Jesus has done and all who Jesus is. He is enough. So let us pray. Father, thank you for what our ears have heard and what our hearts have felt. Thank you even for what our eyes have seen with communion and with baptism today. Thank you that we were able to worship you, to come into your house Thank you, God, for meeting us here. You've answered our prayer. Our prayer was that we might meet you today in a manifest way. Thank you, Lord, for how you've spoken to each one of us, but also you've also spoken to us as a family. I pray, Lord, you'll continue to reveal to each of us, as well as this church, the things you've called us to do and to be about. Lord, thank you that we're not under any condemnation today. We're under Christ. Oh, Lord, there may be someone here today who is not under Christ. Oh, Lord, I pray that your spirit would draw them, that he or she would confess their sins to you and ask you to be their Lord and to be their Savior. If you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, today is the day. You don't need to harden your heart. Open your heart and just say, yes, Lord, I want you. I receive the welcome. Thank you for inviting me in. And if you've done that today, just come shake my hand and say, Pastor, today I made the choice to become a Christian, to follow Jesus, to be a part of the way that Pastor Travis spoke about. If you need a church home, come shake my hand and talk to me about that. And maybe this is the church. If this isn't the church, there's a good one right down the road that preaches the gospel of Jesus. 
Now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ever ask or imagine. And it's according to the power that is working within us. To him be glory in the church, both now and forevermore. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. You got to hug three people before you leave. You got to hug three people before you leave.